Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Kind of an interesting week at the movies this week. Really one big one opening in theaters nationwide, but there's some bigger titles on streaming this week and some smaller movies, as always, that are worth talking about. So let's do that. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. We'll start out with that big one opening in the theaters. Five assassins aboard a fast-moving bullet train find out their missions have something in common. This is Bullet Train. <laughs> We ruin your life the way you ruin mine. Dude, I don't even know you. There's nothing simple about this job. Something else going on here. Yeah, I'm not the only one on this train looking for this case. Evan, hmm. where's the briefcase? Oh, it's not shit. It was just there. We are right on schedule. Everything that's ever happened to you. This is gonna sting, bitch! Has led you here. Fate. That's a shit deal. I mean, have you heard of it? I feel like I've been watching commercials for this movie Man. for two years. Yeah, the advertising budget on this one was was high was because high. yeah, I've been seeing these commercials everywhere. Uh, but it's here now, and this is the latest from David Leach, yeah. a director who he did Deadpool, Deadpool 2, two, and he did what's the one I'm Hobbs forgetting? And Shaw. Plus Atomic Blonde, mm-hmm. and then he was uncredited with that first John Wick. Right. So. Uh, he knows action, yep. and that really plays out in this one because action is one of the the most positive things about this movie. Um, and it is fun. It's based on a book. I sort of had the feel. The movie sort of feels like um, a, maybe a graphic novel right. come to life. Yeah. But this one was an actual uh, novel and a screenplay by Zach Olkowitz. But it is it is fun. It's just not something that once the train gets to the destination, you're going to remember very long. No, it's you know, uh, it's always I find it fun when Brad Pitt does comedy. Not as fun as when Ryan Reynolds does comedy because <laughs> or, or Ryan Gosling is like, but actually either one, they're funny. Yeah, Brad Pitt's funny, and and I think you know we've seen that in little bits and pieces in other movies, but he's the lead in this, and it's a comic turn. Yeah, and uh, he looks goofy in this silly Gilligan hat and these big glasses. <laughs> But there is a great deal of action, and I love action sequences on trains. Like narrow, something about the narrow space, mm-hmm. you know, makes it that much more yeah. sort of thrilling. Yeah, and he plays well. His his handle is Ladybug, Adorable. and he's some sort of assassin underworld guy. But he's had a sabbatical. Yeah, and he sort of had a, a have crisis of philosophy because mm-hmm. he's really into daily affirmations now, <laughs> and telling himself how to get through and be positive. But he's back after a sabbatical to do his first job from his handler, Sandra Bullock, mm-hmm. uh, who's mainly just a voice telling yeah. him what to do. Uh, and he just has this really smash and grab job for his first job back. Easy, easy job. Just get on this train, grab a suitcase and get off the train. Well, that turns out getting off the train is the big trick yeah. <laughs> once he's on it. Because, yeah, as the synopsis mentioned, there's so many other people here, so many other players that have their own agendas and some of them involve working for this mysterious Japanese gang lord known as the White Death, who might be waiting at the end of this train. Uh, and if you're on the wrong side of him, that could be bad. So uh, you've got a, a cast of characters. You've got uh, these twins, <laughs> Lemon and Tangerine, hitmen, played by Aaron Taylor Johnson 
and uh, Brian Tyree Henry, and they're a hoot. They are. And then you've got this uh, 20-something woman, the prince, played by Joey King, and she's reading a book, but that's not the only plan she has for the for the train. And then you've got uh, a, another hitman, the wolf, mm-hmm. who really just wants to settle a score with Ladybug, Brad Pitt, and that's played by the rapper Bad Bunny. And so we've got all these people. Cr- Beats Chris- is oh, in yeah. There. All these people crisscrossing. And we're not going to spoil anything. There's a couple of big name cameos yep. that are yep. fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not know that they were coming, I had not heard that. Uh, so those are fun. Look out for those. And it's very clever and amusing. I, I never thought it was that funny, no. laugh out loud funny. But there's some good stylish action here. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. I love I love Aaron Taylor Johnson and I Brian Tyree Henry is one of my absolute <laughs> favorite actors working today. They had a great chemistry. Yeah. And and they were a ton of fun. And and as you were saying, I mean the action is just hilarious. It really I mean the action is really well staged. It is. There's just everything about the film. I mean it's the style feels very borrowed. It's a mishmash. As we were talking about as we left the theater, it's a, it's got definitely a little Tarantino to it. Definitely some Edgar Wright. An awful lot of Guy Ritchie. Yeah. You know, kind of all smashed together. With all that's going on, it just feels very superficial. Yeah, you can understand the British accents better than Guy Ritchie films. I'll give it that. <laughs> and it's got some of the, the, the cuts and the swipes like Edgar Wright yeah. and the fast moving. And then you've got the... The Japanese influences and then some of the underworld stuff going on that recalls some of the Kill Bills from Tarantino. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, all of that mixed up. But it is slight. There's not really tension to speak of. Not really. The stakes are they're made clear, but still, they're not anything really, really heavy. Um, it, but it is fun. It is. Um, and, and clever, but the action is really the calling card here. As we said by some of the... The uh, other films that Leach has done, you can tell he can stage action, oh, action, yeah. and it definitely plays out here. So that's the main reason. Other than that, um, it's just there's not a lot of not not a lot to it. As you if you said many times, it's slight, yeah, but fun. It yes, is fun. It is fun, it's and that's fun. about it. And that's in the movie theaters now. That's the big one opening all over the country in movie theaters uh, called Bullet Train. Let's go to Hulu next. The origin story of the Predator in the world of the Comanche Nation 300 years ago. Nehru, a skilled female warrior, fights to protect her tribe against one of the first highly evolved predators to land on Earth. It's prey. It knows how to hunt. I know how to survive. So if we're counting, this is number five Mm -hmm. in the Predator franchise. Back to the beginning, the first time the Predator hunted on Earth. And this this has a lot going for it. And really one big thing that we've been talking about, uh, one big aspect to it that kind of threw us off uh, that we'll get into. But mainly we should say it's director and co-writer Dan Trachtenberg. 10 Cloverfield Lane. 10 Cloverfield Lane, Mm -hmm. which was we like that one. Very much. Uh, And this one has some very effective visuals to it. Really does. There's some good world building here uh, and some action and some blood. This one is not shy about the carnage. No, not at all. And it really does have some fun action to it. And and, um, there are moments where it's 
just gorgeous. It really so and makes you sad that it's not in big screens. It's true. You know, it is rolling out on Hulu. Um, so if you are lucky enough to have a big screen in your in your viewing room, um, that yeah. will come in handy because yes, yeah, some of those the visual set pieces are just great. Yep. And Amber Midthunder, who we just talked about in the in wheel, the wheel mm-hmm. and she's also done a lot of some, some TV uh, that we haven't seen, but we saw the wheel. And she's and she's very good. And I will say the uh, the casting, um, the director Dan Trachtenberg, who we mentioned, and also the. The producer, Jane Myers, who is of Comanche and Blackfeet heritage, it's clear they have really taken great pains, not only for the representation in the cast, but also the cultural depiction of the Comanche nation here. And what's very interesting is you can choose a version of this film that is dubbed by the cast in the Comanche language, which I believe, from what I've read, is the first film to ever do that. Mm-hmm. Now, dubbing, as we have talked amongst ourselves, can be very distracting. Yeah. Because we've said about foreign films, yeah. we much prefer subtitles. subtitles. Yeah. But the thing about it here is the fact that the cast that plays these the Comanche uh, warriors and hunters, they're speaking English. And it really took me especially, I think you a little bit, but out of it. And it's not only that they're speaking English, but I found the way they're speaking it, the delivery, the phrasing, it seems so present day. Yeah. Well, one of the things is the very first line in the film is in Comanche. And then every so often she talks to her dog in yeah. Comanche. And that is, and I just, it just, that is, I think, particularly brings you out of it because then you're saying, well, why are they speaking English now? But as you said, it's not so much that they're speaking English, right? It's that they sound like just human beings talking today. They don't sound like people talking right. four, five, six hundred years ago. Or yeah, and then years and ago. then it just threw me out of like they're, they're like they're cosplaying or something. And it just really because I thought away from that, the world building was very good. It was. Um. So I personally would choose, even though I'm not a fan of dubbing, I would choose the dubbed version because. It just to to me it, it seems it seems more authentic. Now I also did read that for a time they considered filming this in yeah. the Comanche native language, which man I would like to see that. Yeah, I too. really would yeah. because everything else about this movie I thought was pretty darn solid. Yeah. So if you set that aside, I mean, you know, there are some some incredible sequences. There are some incredible action sequences here, and there are some really gorgeously shot. Strangely enough, scenes of carnage. Yeah, there are. You know, are, I mean, are. it's it's a beautiful film, regardless yeah. of the fact that what you're watching is a lot of yeah people being torn asunder. And yeah. you know, I mean, it's like <laughs> not just people being torn asunder either. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's scary. Yeah, and so some of the themes I thought were a little bit forced. I mean, her uh, Nehru as as a hunter, because at first she has the skills. She wants to show to her tribe that she has the skills. They doubt her. Mm-hmm. So I thought her arc and also the themes of ooh the the uh, hunter is now the game came on a little hurried and a little forced but i will say the metaphor of having their homeland invaded by you know and suddenly their homeland is turning violent against them i thought that was a a pretty successful metaphor i thought so too yeah Yeah, so that worked that worked but yeah the carnage is great and also they want to capture some of that mid 80s nostalgia that Top Gun Maverick just did because there are some very direct callbacks to the original film. Which is, as uh, the TV show host said uh, this morning, 
sort of call aheads. Really. <laughs> yeah, call aheads, right? Because this is a prequel. And you know what? Not just to the first one. <laughs> There's the unexpected call out to Predator Two. Yeah. In this one, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Not just not just in scene and movement, but in dialogue. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that's that's all we'll it's say fun. about that. Yeah, but all in all, I thought it was very a very good addition to yeah, the I franchise. Did too. I did too. Really was, and it's up to you if you want to choose, you know, the English or choose the uh, which I think is a, a great option. They they chose to go with having a, a dubbed option. Um, again, I think it's the the first film to ever do that. But uh, yeah, I thought it's a, a solid number five now yep. to the Predator franchise and worth checking out. And get ready for that blood splatter. And that is on Hulu now called Prey. Go to Prime Video next for a rescue mission assembled in Thailand where a group of young boys and their soccer coach are trapped in a system of underground caves that are flooding. This is 13 lives. You try and dive those kids the whole way, all you'd be bringing out is dead bodies. Hi. With oxygen running low, the entire nation is anxiously waiting for what will happen next. What are you thinking? Just a crazy idea. Got a skill none of the rest of us have. No. It's insane. It's unethical. It's illegal. The man's already died. Breathe. We'll do nothing. We'll be bringing him out there for sure. So you are expecting casualties? Yes. I expect casualties. Okay. We can make it. So this is the feature, the narrative feature, based on the documentary that we were so riveted by last year called I, The Rescue. The Rescue. I was shocked it was not Oscar-nominated. Just right. shocked. Because that was just such a, a compelling documentary from last year. And these events, you may remember the headlines. From 2018, the soccer team and their coach got caught in this cave and had to be rescued. And I'll tell you, if you don't know anything about this this happening it's insane it's yeah. incredible if you if if a screenwriter would have come up with the things that happened in real life you'd have laughed him out of the building oh yeah he got tossed that, out yeah ex- that but these happen. really happen it's insane so i would recommend the rescue for sure both of us oh would. yeah and this movie too it is effective and it's director ron howard which when you hear that for us it conjures up some uh, some good and some bad i mean he has he he has a penchant sometimes for Schmaltz. Schmaltz. Really over sentimentality. Really, really dialing that up. Nicely, it's nice to report that he. this is understated. It really is. Uh, and sometimes it has the feel of a documentary, which may be, may be too much. I don't know if he maybe felt the heat of that documentary coming mm. on the heels. It's just last year and, and how good that documentary was. But one of the other good things he does, he and the uh, screenwriter, the screenplay by William Nicholson, they focus a lot on the Thai people, mm-hmm. not just the team that's stuck in there, but the village surrounding it and what they contributed to the rescue. Because really the main, quote-unquote, heroes here are a group of three British divers that came in from outside. One was a retired firefighter, one was a doctor, one was an IT guy, but they were among the best in the world at this specific type of cave diving. So they came in. Um, and came up with some of the ideas and the and the the know-how to get this done, even though the Navy SEALs, the Thai Navy SEALs, were were on the uh, on the scene as well. So it spotlights the whole the whole Thai community and how the the people came together to create this series of pipes that helped to divert a lot of the water that was 
flooding the cave and giving them more time to get the kids out. So it's just, it's an incredible story. And this is two and a half hours. This version is two and a half hours, so I'll tell you that. And it really, it, it gets squirmy, especially oh, if, yeah. you're, if you're claustrophobic. Oh, I mean, my, yes. some of these, these shots in the cave, you're like, oh. And even me, who had, had, you know, I'd seen the documentary and I know what happens. And still, your gut is tensioning up because, oh, my God, it's so, some close quarters in there. And they're underwater. And what they had to do to get these kids out. Some really great actors in this. So Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell and yep. Joel Edgerton. Yep. Now that's, that's a trio I'd like to see in more stuff. Yeah, and especially Viggo Mortensen. He's perfect for the, the type of role. He's he's really the main expert cave diver and came up with, I'm not going to spoil it if you don't know, but the the big crazy idea that enabled this thing to work and his his sort of weary heroism. I mean, Viggo just enabled that perfectly. But all three he's of them, so, you're right. Yeah. You're, all three of them are, are, are great for this. But... So there's a there's a story and the the true events that really make it a an easy white savior type of story. But credit to Ron Howard and the writer here, they don't they dial that down, and so they want to keep the focus on the people, the parents, the village, the the townspeople, the kids, and so that's well done. Um, it gets a, a little dry at times, um, but uh, but overall very effective, especially when you hear the the term Ron Howard, you know, the name Ron Howard mm-hmm. and how he can, like you say, really dial up the schmaltz. Uh, happy to report that he doesn't do it here. And this is the type of, of story that should just be left to, I mean, you you feel the heroism and you feel the tension. You really do. Well, and it's so crazy. You don't need to dial up anything. It is. It's it's just a, a, an incredible say, set of circumstances of how this thing played out. And I, I, I urge you, if you don't know anything about it, to to look at it, watch this and watch The Rescue yeah. from last year. Great documentary. And it's just an incredible, incredible true life story. So, uh, yeah, it's worth checking out. It's on Prime Video called 13 Lives. Let's go back to some select theaters for the release of a documentary this week. Feature-length documentary explores the life of singer-songwriter Leonard Cohen as seen through the prism of his internationally renowned hymn, Hallelujah. This is called Hallelujah, Leonard Cohen, A Journey, A Song. Hallelujah. It was a lot of verses. The number 180 comes to mind. The real song, where that comes from, no one knows that is grace, that is a gift. The first version of Hallelujah I heard was Jeff Buckley. Jeff Buckley. I remember John Cale covering that song. And I remember going, wow, not a lot of people know that tune. Just Cale and Buckley, and then Shrek. So Shrek really broke it. And even though it all went wrong. Hallelujah really beat the odds and that it's its own thing now. Hallelujah. You're getting things that are so deep and so resonant in your own spiritual journey that you are benefiting from his. Well, full disclosure, both of us are big Leonard Cohen fans. In fact, we we consider the fact that we got to see him in concert before he died just an in, one of the highlights of our of our concert going experience in our lives. Exactly. That yeah, was no we've question. got we've got the the ticket stub framed upstairs. I mean, what an incredible incredible night. So we're fans. If you're a fan, I highly encourage you to check this out. And also, even if you're a fan, as pretty much everybody is nowadays, of the song Hallelujah and don't know the story behind it because 
as this documentary rightly points out, I think it's from a singer-songwriter, Brandy Carlisle, who says the, the song now is its own thing. It's got a life of its own. Um, but it, it didn't start out that way. The history of the song is fascinating. It really and is. It was first explored a few years ago by writer Alan Light. He wrote a book that we have called The Holy or the Broken about how this song had such meager, modest beginnings and now has become such a pop culture institution. And he serves as a, as a consultant on this film as well to directors Daniel Geller and Dana Goldfine. So it's a little bit, it's a little mix of biography and song history. Um, if you're a longtime fan as we are, maybe you would like a little bit more song history, but I understand how you, you want to mix in the biography as well, because he also, in addition to being an incredible songwriter, lived an incredible life. Yeah, he did. And so unlike, everything about him is so unlike any other pop culture, certainly musician mm-hmm. uh, types of, of his generation, of his era. He was... He was always in a suit, yeah. you know, and he was very humble and he, and he, yeah. you know, he studied Buddhism and he, I mean, I mean, he, he lived in a monastery in yeah. Mount Baldy for, for years. six years. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's just a fascinating, fascinating human being. I love the archival footage of his interviews. I think oh, those I are my too. favorite parts. He's just so understated and charming. Yeah. I mean, the documentary also features interviews with, with fans and, yeah. and friends and admirers, but yeah, hearing from him concert footage of him doing mm-hmm, the song mm-hmm. and also learning about how long it took him to write the yeah. song and, and how many verses how many verses they they they're guessing 100 180 i mean you see these notebooks after notebooks and then you see the the handwritten lines appear on the screen and disappear as he just worked on it over and over yeah. and over and for somebody who was so gifted with his his songwriting to to hear that it could be such a tortured process because he was just a such a seeker trying to, as someone says in this documentary, trying to merge the primal and the spiritual. And I think this this movie gets it across. But uh, I highly recommend it. Yep. Uh, really do, especially if you're if you don't know that much about the history of the song and maybe our mistake, maybe you didn't know he wrote it. Some people don't. Right. Think it's a, well, cause they, they, people think Jeff Buckley Jeff wrote Buckley it. Jeff Buckley wrote it or they first heard it in the Shrek movies. It's or the song is on one of the oh, TV shows. I know. <laughs> and I, I, it's gotten to the point where I just, I'm tired of people like that doing it all the time. And I, and I know when I do that, when I yell, oh, not hallelujah again, or I fought with somebody online last year, it's not a Christmas song, right. for Lord's sake. <laughs> but again, that's me taking right? ownership yeah. of it. I don't own it. No. Um, and and this, this uh, documentary reminds you of that, but it's such a great song, and he was such a great songwriter and performer and, and a unique individual. So yes. Highly recommend this one. It's in select theaters mm-hmm. now, hopefully coming to streaming soon. Uh, don't know if it is, but right now it's in select theaters called Hallelujah, Leonard Cohen, A Journey, A Song. And let's go to Apple TV next. The curtain is pulled back on the millennia-old battle between the organizations of good luck and bad luck that secretly affects everyday lives. It's called luck. Ah, humans cannot be here. Where's here? The land of luck. I'll leave soon as you give me another lucky penny. You best start blending in. Hello. Mighty leprechaun fräulein. Well done, nature. This is where good luck is born. A dragon? She's the only creature that can sniff out bad luck. There's bad luck here too. Good luck on top, bad luck on the bottom. The tiniest amount of bad luck can shut down our entire operation. Just how unlucky are you? Ah! Oh, oh no. Ah! Super duper unlucky. You cause a disaster. 
Good luck to us both. I was kind of hopeful about this one, to be yeah, honest with you. Because it's got a lot of Pixar alum, and we are big fans of Pixar, yes. obviously. Unfortunately, this one, it just seems like an idea that Pixar didn't want. Yeah, it's convoluted and incredibly complicated, and at the same time, quite superficial. Yeah, yeah. There's so much going on, none of it with much meaning, none of it makes a lot of sense. There's, you know, if they had focused on, there's like a a world and an underworld, and the up top of the world is good luck, and the bottom part Mm -hmm. of the world is bad luck, but she comes from the regular world, ours, and they end up there in search of a lucky penny. There's a cat. It's. I mean, there's so many things going on. A lot going on. Like, you, convoluted is a good word. Yeah. And it's got that Pixar playbook of a secret world right. that we don't know about. Yeah. But this one, is just, it's just not that interesting. The main uh, voices here are Eva Noblezada. Hope I pronounced that right. She plays Sam, who's uh, searching for that lucky penny. Then Simon Pegg is the cat. Yeah. Uh, and Jane Fonda yeah. is the dragon uh-huh. who sort of controls the good luck. Uh, the world of good luck, and she can sniff out any trace of bad luck because if there's any trace of bad luck, it can spoil everything, uh, and that's the uh, those are the stakes here. But it just it wasn't very interesting. It certainly didn't have that that uh, tug on your humanity that the best no. of Pixar does. No. So if you have Apple TV, I suppose, and the kids want a new animated movie, it's very but, brightly colored. Yeah, it is, and it, you know what? <laughs> And it would be good around St. Patrick's Day. There's a lot of leprechaunish stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, there is. And Lucky Pennies and Green. And it seems like it could be perfect for a St. Patrick's Day. But I know that's not here yet. But if you want to check it out, the kids might like it. But it's, other than that, it just seems like you, you can understand why this is something that I'm not, I don't know that Pixar passed on it. But it just seems like maybe a something that would be a, a discarded idea from Pixar that landed here. That is how it felt, yes. Yeah, and that is on Apple TV now called Luck. Let's move on to Shudder for a family with buried secrets reuniting in a farmhouse after two decades to pay for their past sins. It's called What Josiah Saw. People say in that property, I swear it's haunted. It's time to let the place go. What about Paul? An old bastard just wants revenge. There's something that he's doing. I need to wait till dark to tell you. It's dark now. When you run, boy, the wall, you run far from here. You can hear that devil sing. This one feels like it's going to be pretty standard fare. You're in an old farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere, and there's a belligerent father, probably not entirely there, not totally right son who is kind of put upon. And you think you know where things are going, and then all of a sudden we switch gears entirely and we meet a brother who's not living there, and he has his own whole movie. Suddenly it's sort of a gritty thriller kind of mystery, and uh, and it's fascinating. And then we switch gears again when we meet the absent sister, and she's got a completely different storyline. I love in particular Eli is the brother, his story. I wish that had been the whole movie, actually. I wish we'd seen the before and the after of that movie. And then we all we know clearly all of these siblings are going to be reunited on the farm. And so then we go back to the original story and see what their secrets are, why it is that their lives have turned out the way mm. they do. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. The performances are all very good. 
there's a, something a little bit too um, standard in the way things turn out. And what's unfortunate is that so so the filmmaker, Vincent Grayshaw, kind of upends your expectations, but that doesn't exactly work. It doesn't, you know what I mean? So you get an ending that I don't think fits the film. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great elements. I don't think they work together particularly well, but it's an entertaining horror film and the writer, nonetheless. The, the writer, Robert Allen Diltz, and you mentioned the cast. Robert Patrick is at the top. Also, Nick Stahl and Kelly Garner. You might also recognize Jake Weber, Tony Hale, and these as well, some familiar faces. Yeah. So, so yeah, overall, pretty solid. Yeah. Pretty solid, but uh, maybe it just doesn't stick the landing, yes. as we've said here recently. That's but that's true. another another decent one on Shudder, though. That's uh, on Shudder, available now. Well, let's go back to theaters for this comedy. A hopelessly estranged father catfishes his own son in an attempt to reconnect. It's called I Love My Dad. This is incest. No, it's not. I'm doing this to help him. He thinks he's in a relationship. This girl's the love of my life. Keep your expectations low. She could be, like, mean or, or a scammer or, I mean, or your dad. <laughs> Hi, it's my girlfriend. One, one sec. Yeah. Becca, hello? Hey, Becca. Hello, hello. I'll call you in a little bit. I'll call you. Not there, huh? I pretend to kiss you. <laughs> Look, you ask for my help, internet kiss your son. That's gross. Do you love him? Yes. Just kiss him already. <laughs> Brandon Thomas reviewed this one for us. He loved this movie. Yes. It is cringe comedy. <laughs> I mean, you squirm and want to look away so yeah. badly. And one of the reasons it works as well as it does is Patton Oswald because... No matter what he does, no matter how horrifying his behavior, you can't not like his character. <laughs> this is a writer, director, and star, James Morrissini, as the son who, yeah, who gets catfished by his own dad, <laughs> which right there is, you know, squirm worthy. Oh, yeah. But the, the lengths that it goes, uh, very much so. And Patton Oswald is, is always a, a treat. And I had not, you know, this is the first time knowing of James Morrissini, but if this is any indication, he's got he's got a future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Also, some really great small roles with Lil Rel Howery. Right. And Rachel Drack, who just <laughs> steals every scene. Yeah, exactly. She is uh, Patton Oswalt's uh, very... Um, Horny? Girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. So, yeah, definitely worth checking out, and certainly check out Brandon's full review because he loved it. You can find that at madwolf.com. It's called I Love My Dad. And one more in theaters, a drama and romance. Ali and Ava, both lonely for different reasons, meet and sparks fly. Over a lunar month, a deep connection begins to grow. Despite the legacy of Ava's past relationship and Ali's emotional turmoil at the breakdown of his marriage, this is Ali and Ava. It's just be a bit overprotective yeah. about you and me. You and just you and me. My, you and me? What, is that a... It's not a thing. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> We're separated. We live in the same house or separate bedrooms. You need something to keep you alive. Oh. Just focus on that. Nothing else. Why didn't you tell me? She's telling you now. 
Rachel Willis reviewed this one for us. Also, a big thumbs up from her. Mm-hmm. A charming and really likable film that treads some familiar ground. You know, it's two people from different backgrounds who kind of fall in with each other. But one of the things that's very interesting, first of all, is that there's a big age difference on top of everything else. Mm -hmm. So it gives it a chance. It gives you a chance to look at how that affects relationships. There's a very big cultural and racial and ethnic divide. And those are a little bit more common, I think, in films. The performances are wonderful. And it's just a it's just a charmer. Yeah. Writer director is Cleo Barnard and the performer Ali is Adil Akhtar and Ava is Claire Rushbrook. So, yeah, lots of talent to go around here. And yeah, you, you get a chance to see because usually the age difference is the other way around. Exactly. It's usually the older man. You see that all the time. But a little switcheroo on mm-hmm, this one and mm-hmm. the cultural differences as well play out well. And it's just charming all the way around. And please check out Rachel's review. You can find that at madwolf.com. But uh, yeah, recommendation for that one. So let's head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Checking back in the lobby, get the latest from Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. The Schlocketeer. I imagine it starts with the big Batgirl news. Yes. Okay. (laughs) I'll try to think of a way to condense this. (laughs) I guess, uh, of course, Discovery bought out Warner Brothers recently. Right. And they've been shaking things up, moving things around, greenlighting projects, canceling projects. But the big news this week is the fact that they have permanently or seemingly permanently shelved a nearly completed Batgirl movie and a nearly completed Scooby-Doo animated movie. They're tossing them in the vault and taking tax write-offs on both instead of releasing them. And I think the the, the key word there probably is, is nearly because it seemed in some of the stuff I've read, they just didn't want to spend any more money on either of them. Is that right? Well, the previous regime... Their DC, setting aside Scooby-Doo for a moment, their uh, their DC plan going forward was to continue to do huge blockbusters for theaters that were a couple hundred million dollars a piece, and then they were going to do smaller mid-budget films just for HBO Max, and just kind of expand things out that way. So Batgirl was like a ninety million dollar movie, and then they had another one called Blue Beetle that um, just finished shooting recently. But that one had been upgraded to theatrical before they shot it. So I would assume they beefed up the spectacle a little bit. Um, I guess the the big issue with Batgirl is that the new owners um, hate, just flat out hate, the idea of streaming exclusive movies. And I guess it's not so much that there was a problem with Batgirl because it had tested um, in its slightly incomplete form and had apparently gotten test scores comparable to the first It so, you know, it, it wasn't a bad, there weren't bad scores at all. There's nothing wrong with the movie. But I guess their thinking was they don't want to spend extra money to beef up the spectacle and reshoots. So they're just going to toss it in the dungeon and take a $90 million tax write-off on the whole thing. Wow. Yeah. Apparently, all that was left was a few effect shots needed to finish and the movie needed color timed. And that's it. So, that's you know, crazy. a couple weeks worth of work and it would have been done. And it sounds like the Scoob... Scoob Holiday Haunt would uh, was just as close to completion, and that one cost between forty and forty-five million. So what? So, yeah, uh, aside from those two <laughs> big pieces, I, I, I really don't got? understand the thinking here, and they are getting lambasted from top to bottom, both on social media and from other industry people in general. Like it's it's kind of unheard of. 
on the good news front, uh, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis will be available to stream and, uh, on HBO Max and rent on VOD come Monday, August 8th. And then Amazon has announced a trio of horror film release dates for their upcoming Halloween season. Um, first up on September 16th is the no- Naomi Watts starring remake of Goodnight Mommy, no. which I completely forgot was on the way. Wow. And then on September 30th comes an adaptation of Grady Hendrix's My Best Friend's Exorcism, which stars Elsie Fisher. I have not read that book, but it's been described as Beaches Meets the Exorcist. So that already has my attention. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Love Elsie Fisher. (laughs) Yeah. And then um, on October 28th, they're releasing the Blumhouse horror thriller Run, Sweetheart, Run. And backing up a tad, October 11th, we'll see the VOD release date of Spirit Halloween the Movie, which was shot and abandoned Toys R Us, and centers on a group of kids spending the night in a Spirit Halloween store, only to find out the decorations come alive after dark. Fun. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. And then Netflix is releasing a family horror film of their own called The Curse of Bridge Hollow on October 14th, which also happens to center around Halloween decorations coming to life and chasing people. Bit of a theme going there. On November 4th, the musical comedy biopic Weird, the Al Yankovic story, will premiere for free on the Roku channel, and that stars Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al, Evan Rachel Wood as Madonna, and Rain Wilson as Dr. Demento. Huh. Apparently, it's not a factual biopic, and it's kind of more of a fun myth-making one. I guess more okay. Rocket Man than Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, but on Roku channel. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't even know if you can access the Roku channel if you don't have a Roku. That's. I guess that's something we'll all find out when it releases. <laughs> and then we've got a couple of project announcements and uh, release date announcements beyond that for the next couple of years. Uh, Sony has set a July seventh release next year for Insidious Five, and unlike the last two movies that were prequels, this one's actually a sequel that picks up about a decade after the events of the first two films. Wow. Patrick Wilson, Rose Byrne, and Ty Simpkins are all back for it. They haven't said if Lynn Shay's coming back or not, but I'd be shocked if she wasn't. And Patrick Wilson's making his directorial debut with this one. Oh, oh. all right. And then Paramount has set an August 4th, 2023 release date for an animated film called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. And speaking of Warner Brothers, <laughs> um, they've set an October 2024 release date for Todd Phillips' Joker, Folly Adu which will see Joaquin Phoenix's Joker back, uh, this time accompanied by Lady Gaga, presumably playing some iteration of Harley Quinn, and it's supposed to be some sort of musical sequel. Yeah. So. <laughs> see how that turns out. What uh, hopefully say. good. And that's all <laughs> yeah. I've got for you. <laughs> all right. Thanks, as always. You can catch up with uh, Daniel and always uh, get the latest at The Schlocketeer on socials. Thank you. Hey, thanks. All right, looking ahead to next week, uh, the latest from A24 called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Also, Emily the Criminal. Mac and Rita. N-U-O. Day Shift. Summering. And Wife Like. <laughs> wife Like. All right, <laughs> see what that is. But that's next week. What do you think about this week? You got Bullet Train, you got Prey, 13 Lives, uh, Luck. Maybe uh, you love that. Whatever. We love to keep the conversation going. Always easy to find us on Twitter. That's at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus and the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. That's all for you there at MadWolf.com. So enjoy the movies. Keep in touch if you can. And we will talk again next week. Until then, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner.
goodbye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>